Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate you. We got a great show for you today. An interview you don't want to miss. It's with She Van Fleet. No, she is not the mother of the boys. And Greta Van Fleet, a superb young rock band. You know, a lot of people say there's not great music out there anymore. Great new music. Check out Greta Van Fleet. Yes, they're a bit of a Led Zeppelin knockoff, but they're fantastic. And they're kids, man. They're like 19, 20 years old. Their brothers is wonderful. Anyway, that's not her. She's not the mom of these boys. She is a Chinese defector who has been warning Americans for a year now that this country is spiraling in the kind of authoritarianism that she fled and escaped from China. So you're going to love that interview. Now, before we get into that, you know, I hate to use the boiled frog analogy on this show. Well, I don't hate to use it because I've used it like three or four times. So I obviously love it. Um, It's just kind of a corny one to go to, but it's so applicable. It, It applies so much to what we're seeing in society right now. They have been slowly stripping away your rights and freedoms in America for a long time. And now they're doing it a little bit faster and a little bit faster because they've gotten you used to sacrificing your freedoms and liberty. I mean, you lost your right to privacy with the Patriot Act that was under the Bush administration. You lost your right to free speech on social media. They're banning books in schools. They're racially segregating dormitories and colleges, and they're posing that as like a a progressive idea of progress. You lost your right to freely assemble at church during the pandemic. Your your, Your children, they lost their freedom to smile at each other in school. They had to wear those masks. You lost the freedom to go to the movies and concerts and hang out with friends and go to the gym and stay fit. They're robbing you of your freedom and they're getting you used to it. And you are used to it. Many of you are used to it because They load you up on painkillers and opiates and antidepressants and stuff your face with Twinkies and Oreos and Pepsi. And then they got you mainlining that Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, just mainlining it right into your dome. And you become just fat and lazy and content and stupid and poor. And then they tell you, you know, when they got you right where they want you, hey, The air quality threat level today is an 11, so you got to stay home. And you say, okay, cool. Let's just turn on Jackass 17, get high, and laugh at some fart jokes. That's, That's where we're at, man. Now, look, this is how an empire crumbles. A spoiled and comfortable population gets the rug taken right out underneath them because they're hypnotized by some 16-year-old shaking her tits on TikTok, and they didn't notice they were becoming prisoners to the state. So they get hypnotized. They get lulled into a sense of, of of just sloth. And then they pull the rug out from under you. Next thing you know, you're a prisoner of the state. Now, she Van Fleet, she's going to warn us all about apathy and communism and China coming from a place of experience, firsthand experience. Now, she's not some middle-aged white guy getting onto a microphone and ranting about things he foresees coming. She's an old Chinese lady getting onto a microphone and ranting about the things she's already lived. 
So pay attention to her. But before we get into that interview, let's talk about a couple other things that relate. Because President Xi in China just recently said, he said this, he said these words, I hope everybody in the Western world is paying attention to what we're doing right now. What are they doing? What, do, what does he want us to pay attention to? Well, what they're doing is they're attempting to make the United States dollar obsolete as the world's currency. That threat is the singular biggest thing I've been worried about and warning about for a decade, not just on this show, but back on Naked Word Surfer and in my books. This is a fear because if you really understand the dollar and we'll get into it, this could happen. And if they're successful in replacing the dollar as the world currency, well, what happens? Why do I care, Matt? Well, because you immediately become impoverished. Immediately. A few people understand this. We went off the gold standard in the 70s. Since that time, there is nothing real that backs up our dollar besides confidence, which can go away very quickly, and the petrol agreement with Saudi Arabia, which could also go away very quickly. It is not unthinkable to, to believe that the Chinese could pull this off. When we got involved in the Ukraine tragedy, when we decided to stick our fat noses in there like we always do, our government decided to take hundreds of millions of dollars that were held by Russians in American assets. We just, they just took them. They just took them, made them go bye-bye, poof, gone, never happened. So sorry, right? They just disappeared assets and money, just disappeared their dollar holdings. Well, I'm not going to comment on whether that was the right thing or wrong thing to do. I'm sure you can figure out how I feel about it. But the rest of the world took note. They took note of what we did, specifically China. China took note. They're like, hmm, you know, you cross America, they might just straight up gangsta, go gangsta on your ass and take your shit if they don't like your politics. Maybe we should do something about that so they can't take our shit. So since that conflict started, you know, other nations have also paid attention. Iran and Turkey have all but announced that they are ditching the dollar. They have ditched the dollar, Iran and Turkey. Not small countries, big deal. The two of them and Russia have formed a new coalition, which they call the Axis of Good, which is an interesting choice of name because you remember George Bush used to call the Middle East uh, Iran and the other countries that were in that alliance, can't recall off the top of my head, called them the access of evil. So they're calling themselves the access of good. Access of, you know, good for good for what? I don't really know, but definitely not good for the dollar. Then a month ago, you had this summit called BRICS. BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, I believe. It was a coalition formed between Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, B-R-I-C-S. Okay, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa got together in a summit, had a meeting, formed a pack. And President Xi Jinping of China, he was there. And he declared, the West has weaponized the world economy. And well, you know, when you look at what we did to Russia, it's tough to argue that, that that's an incorrect statement. So in this meeting, in this BRICS summit, they laid out 75 points and President Xi of China He's urging the West to read these 75 points. He wants you to know what they're planning. He is urging you to read about it. I read into it. Rewind there. I know you hear me calling him President Xi, and you're probably saying, well, I don't, I don't think that's his name, Matt. I keep saying President Xi, 
because our guest today, she Van Fleet, spells her name the same way as him, X-I. Now, reading that and not being Chinese, I would take my best stab at it and I would call him Z. I'd say Z, you know, Z Zingping or whatever. And I've heard newscasters have heard them say G, G Zingping, Jinping, G Jinping. Tough name, these, these names, whatever. But she says X-I-Z is pronounced she. So I'm going to bow to her expertise. And also, it's a lot more fun to call a blood-soaked dictator she. So Xi Jinping, that's what I'm going to call him. Anyway, not the point. He says he hopes the West is paying attention. I'm paying attention, she paying attention. Well, in these 75 points that they laid out, a couple important things that I noticed. Number one, they say they are going to replace the World Bank and the IMF with a new bank in Shanghai. Well, the World Bank and the IMF kind of set monetary policy for the whole world, in addition to our Federal Reserve, and they trade in U.S. dollars. This new bank in Shanghai will not trade in U.S. dollars. Point number two, after we kicked Russia off of SWIFT so they couldn't make international transfers, if any of you have ever tried to send money abroad, number one, you might be on a terrorist watch list now. Just might be. Um, but if you've done that, I've done that because I used to hire computer programmers in India. You used the SWIFT system at your bank. Well, we kicked Russia off of this so that they could no longer do international transactions. China, BRICS, they're going to make their own, which will also operate independent of the dollar. So what happens to the value of the dollar when they create their own currency, when they create their own world bank, when they create their own SWIFT system? Well, let's understand some bare basic bones of history and the dollar and what money actually is. What money is, is nothing but a way to exchange goods and services. See, if I grow corn, that's what I do for a living. I grow corn and you make cars and I want a car. Well, I'd have to give you a metric shit ton of corn in exchange for a car. And you probably don't want a shit ton of corn. So we have dollars. Everybody agrees upon these dollars as a means of exchange. So I can exchange the value of what I have and the work. I exchange that for dollars. I take my dollars. I spend them on what I want, like a car. That's what money is. The actual physical paper money doesn't have any value. It's just paper. Our dollars used to be backed by physical gold up until 1971. Money was a promissory note that was exchangeable. It was a promissory note for gold. It said it right there on the dollar. The Federal Reserve had to back up the dollars they printed with gold, or at least so that's what they said. What that did is, number one, it stopped the Federal Reserve from just wildly printing money because they had to back it up with gold somewhere. But also, it created confidence around the dollar where other countries began treating the dollar like gold because it was a gold certificate. So the dollar became the currency of the world, the most trusted currency of the world. However, in the 60s, for a whole bunch of reasons, some European nations, they tried to cash out the dollars for gold. They wanted some gold. But our government said, oopsie, sorry, psych, no gold for you. And that was the end of the gold standard. That was it. The jig was up. So after that, inflation really started ramping up. If you look at a, a 
historical inflation chart online. Go look it up. You'll see that around 1971-72, you know, we had moderate inflation all through history, and then we hit there, and it's just going up in a big. I don't know what you call that curve, but it's shooting up. It's been shooting up since the 70s, whereas it did not do that before that. Also, what started going out the window slowly is confidence started going out the window. Going off the gold standard cemented future inflation forever. Now, when the Fed wants to print money, they just print it. So we needed to restore some international confidence to the dollar. So what did we do? We then went forward with the petrol agreement with Saudi Arabia. That agreement dictates, it's an agreement that they will only sell their oil in exchange for United States dollars. So all the world banks and any governments who wanted oil from Saudi Arabia, they had to hold dollars. That gave the dollar some backing. The petrol agreement with Saudi Arabia is a large reason why we've been involved in Middle East conflicts since the 70s. We're always taking Saudi Arabia's side. And in fact, if you go back to 9-11, 18 out of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. That's where they were from. Yet we never attacked Saudi Arabia. And when we grounded every plane in the country, the only planes that were allowed to still fly that day were planes going back to Saudi Arabia, which is pretty freaking wacky. Okay. In hindsight, that's very wacky. There's currently in the world a genocide going on in Yemen that you probably didn't know about. If you listen to this show, you've probably heard about it. There's some other shows that we'll talk about it, but not many. It's been going on for a decade, an actual genocide. Close to a million women and babies have been killed in that decade, a million. That's a lot. That's a genocide. Well, the United States military supports this genocide. Like we give Saudi Arabia actual help in this genocide, which kills women and babies. Why? Well, because of the petrodollar agreement. Pretty gross, right? So anyway, fast forward back to what we were talking about before. Saudi Arabia now may be, they're not super thrilled with us. They're not super thrilled with the way we've conducted business. They might be pulling away from the petrodollar agreement, which would be disastrous for us. We have the Brinks alignment looking to create a new world currency, a new SWIFT system, a new world bank. And if they succeed, and if Saudi Arabia gets out of this deal and half the world no longer wants United States dollars, well, the demand for dollars will have been cut in half, which means the, the buying power of the dollars in which you hold right now would be cut in half. Or another way to say that is we would have 100% price inflation. In fact, that would be a best case scenario. It could be worse than that because America doesn't make too much shit here anymore. We don't make much shit. We've outsourced almost all of our manufacturing. So if we have to import everything and nobody in the eastern part of the world wants dollars, whoa, we're in trouble. And the thing is, this is a problem. This is a giant problem and it's terrifying. But the problems that we face are not impossible to solve, not, not by a long shot. They're salvageable. They're very solvable. And, and there's a long way to go before any of this happens. The problem is our government doesn't want to solve these problems. The people in power thrive and they make money in all of this. If you're Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell or Joe Biden, you're making tens of millions of dollars right now without improving things for us or or worse, you're making tens of millions of dollars by helping China move things along. So why are you going to change that? 
You've got security for yourself and for your family and for your family's family for generations. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. That's what every dad out there is working for. You want security for your family. You want security for your kids, kids, and their kids. That, that makes you the ultimate dad. You provide security for your family, for your grandkids. You're the patriarch. That's the patriarchy taking care of your family. So while these people like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell are horrible sociopaths, and most of us are better people who would never do anything like that, you can at least understand how it happens when you lay it all out. It makes sense. But we're not helpless without them. We, the American people, we can force change. We've done it many times throughout history. We can force change. But unfortunately, we don't have the willpower or intestinal fortitude to do the work to make these things happen. And it doesn't help matters that we've all been worked up. We're all titty twisted up and knotted up and hating each other. They've got us all fighting with each other. So we're distracted. We hate each other. How are we going to work together when we hate each other? So get your tits out of their knot, love your brother, and let's focus on fixing this country because they're not going to do it for us. We've had a cushy life. Americans are the fatted calf. If, if, let me tell you something. You might take pity on yourself. Americans have gotten very used to wanting to play the victim card. If you make $100,000 a year, hundred grand, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Put you in the top 1%. You're a world elite. You're comfortable. Now, you may not have the life of a Kardashian. You might not be living like Kim Kardashian out there, but you probably have all your basic needs met. You're probably eating. You probably have a roof over your head. You're probably dry at night and have a bed to lie on, and you probably have Kim's fat ass. We're spoiled, and if we don't get our shit together... We're about to find out how spoiled we really are because we're going to have some hard times. And frankly, frankly, sadly, I don't anticipate Americans getting tougher or more logical or better at problem solving or any of that or better at getting along and resolving differences and working together. I don't see it happening anytime soon. I would love to see it happen. I don't see it happening. So what I would say, what I'm doing is learning how to take care of myself and my family, learning how to set us up for disaster. And, you know, I would recommend you do the same. Hopefully we can figure this out. We can work together. We can fix our problems. But in the meantime, make sure financially you are looking at things and figuring out what you're going to do if the shit hits the fan, because the shit is about to hit the fan. All right, guys, I want to get into the interview, but first we got to pay them bills. So here's a word from our sponsors. ExpressVPN.com slash the dad. Look, guys, the FBI and NSA, they're tracking you, man. If you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on Twitter or whatever, or you talk about it on Facebook, guess what? They're spending money to track your web activity. Last year alone, 4 million Americans were tracked. That data recently came out. 4 million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. 
Cancel by month four, you never pay for it. So try it out, expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself, protect your privacy, protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise. Eat right and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who is one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to ZStackLife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. All right, you guys also, this is getting long and I want to get into the interview, but before we get into it, I want to play... She Van Fleet's video that she, from last year in front of a school board, this woman took her school board to task. It was awesome. Here it is. I've been very alarmed about what's going on in our school. You are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. This is indeed the American version of the Chinese communist, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place in our schools. Guys, today we are with Xi Van Fleet. She's a parent and a mother who defected from China at age 26, and she started fighting taking on school boards here in America, especially in Virginia, because of what she sees coming for America, coming from where she came from. She's taking on a brave fight. We are happy to have her. We're doing audio only today because neither one of us could figure out the tech, but I know most of you just listen anyway, so I hope you enjoy. She, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show. Yes, thank you for coming on. Um, so let's just start from, from the top, a little bit about you. You know, we, we, this is the dad presents here. We're, we're fighting school boards right along with you, but your story brings interesting perspective to the issue and people need to listen to people like you who have already lived some of this stuff. So you fled China during the, the genocidal purge from, from Mao during the cultural revolution. I, I believe you were 26 when you got out. And then last summer, you slammed the Loudoun County School Board and made comparisons between critical race theory that they were spreading in their schools and the communist China that, that you fled. Now, proponents of critical race theory defend it by stating that they're just they're just giving a more accurate way to understand America's history and why black people are at a disadvantage because of America's history. Please elaborate on why you find what's going on in schools today to be so dangerous and how it resembles what you saw in China. Yeah, I spent, you know, 26 years in China. I spent my entire school years uh, in the Cultural Revolution. Mm -hmm. So that's marked my uh, uh, first year in, in school. And when school closed for almost two years, I missed two years of schooling. And uh when I graduated from uh, high school at the age of 16, because Mao cut it short from 12 years to 10 years, because he wanted to turn all and um, turn off the uh, um, um, what they call the social disputers faster. So okay. and the education is not really important to him. Anyway, after that, at age of 16, I was sent to the countryside 
to work in the field with the peasants to be re-educated by them. So that's my entire use. Okay, and, hold on. Uh, let's let's stop right there. You said you were you were sent there. What do you mean sent? Like the government forcibly yes. sent you there? Yes. Um, so when I graduated uh, from col- uh, from high school, that's 1975, one year before Mao died, and that was like China. The whole Cultural Revolution was still going on, and there was no economy, and they could not really deal with the youth uh, graduating from high school, and there's hardly any college. And uh, so there's no job, no nothing. And uh, also the, the, the youth were the red guards um, creating all this chaos for Mao after their usefulness was uh, uh, down. He sent them to the countryside. And so after that, all the young graduates were sent to the countryside. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what what were they hoping to accomplish with with that? They just they didn't they didn't have jobs for people, or what was the purpose of sending you there? Well, he said it's re-educated by the peasants. To me, it's just we just dumped there, dumped there in the countryside, working as a peasant, working manual work, and uh, everything we learned was useless. And that's what he really uh, accomplished. He created so many illiterate people during the 10 years of Cultural Revolution when education was nothing but a tool to indoctrinate the young people. Right. So they're they're sending you there and they're re-educating you, just filling your head with communist garbage. Um, Are you essentially like slave labor at that point? Are are they feeding you? Are they paying you? What's... No, it's like a, um, the whole country is a, a really a slave plantation in, 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 in many ways. So the peasants were just, uh, uh, it's just a primitive living condition. And we have to work so hard with uh, primitive tools. And, uh, and it's the commune. And the commune means everything is owned collectively. You work you get a work assignment and you get making points. And at end of the uh, year or during the end of the harvest, you get you use your points to get the produce. But we are away from education. We, but um, yeah, that was, uh, I was there for three years. And then the uh, um, Mao died. Thank God he died. And then Deng Xiaoping uh, took over China. And uh, by then, there's no, uh, there's just a total collapse. There's no economy. There's just nothing going on. So he decided to open up China to the West. And that's when he opened up college and we could go to college by taking examinations before this was chosen by the party leaders. And after I graduated from college and I worked for three years as an English teacher and I was able to come to America uh, to pursue my graduate study. Okay. So you're, you're sent to this, uh, communist plantation. You're, you're forced to work there for three years. It's, it's a commune. So what kind of work do they have you doing there? You're paid in coins, which I assume then you exchange for, you know, the goods that you need. What, what kind of work did they have you doing in exchange for the the coins? It's a, it's just, um, um, and farm work and like every day will be, 
something different. And uh, sometimes it's a, uh, but anyway, I do want to tell a quick story to show um, the inefficiency of uh, socialism. And that just uh, to show that socialism will never work. There are two kinds of work. So one is by hours you spend in the field, uh, like a weedy, for example, or spreading manure. The other is by, um, like for example, harvesting potato, it's by how much you harvest. When the day that is by hour, that is a day for uh, gossiping, for uh, catching up with each other's stories, hardly anyone works because it's by hour. Mm -hmm. And then if it's by uh, um, how much you uh, uh, produce, like a whey on the potato, no one had time to chat. Everyone works so hard because you get point by how much you uh, you uh, uh, you got in the end of the day. So I, I think that's just a very uh, I just witnessed and experienced it. That's human nature. That's why socialism will never work. Yes, exactly. So in in one model, there you have no incentive to work because you're getting paid no matter what. And in another, uh, your work directly results in how much you will be getting paid. So these plantations are government owned. So there's no there's no individual in charge at this farm who um, cares how much is produced because they don't have any personal stake in it. Is that correct? No, government? no yeah. The whole country is uh, the, the rural area is all by commune. So there are many, many communes. And so I just worked in one of them. And by 80, 1983, I think, they abolished it. So they returned the land to the peasants and the production soared. And uh, that is absolutely, the, the people need to know. And here we still think the uh, uh, socialism, socialism is sharing. It's not. No. It's not sharing. No, I don't think most people really understand what socialism is. I don't think most people have an idea of what actually ha happened in China. I have a very rudimentary idea of it. It's why we have someone like you on, and it's why we should listen to people like you who have lived this. Because as Amer America is progressing into socialism, we're already yes. we're already there. We already have a lot of socialist things in place. We need to be aware of how this has worked out in the rest of the world. So how yeah. long how long was Mao in power? Now you talk about the, uh, this land was eventually given back to private holders. How long was Mao in power? How did he overtake the country and like they they took over everything. The country, the the government party owned everything. How did that happen and what was the fallout for the citizens? Okay, um I think that China and Russia and even Cuba um, are the um, classic story of uh, communist revolution. Yes. And that was uh, by force. And so they fought a war with uh, the, the CCP, fought a war with the nationalists, and those are the people in Taiwan. So they overthrew the government, the sitting government, and took over the power and implemented the communism. Okay, so that's the same story in Russia and in Cuba, but that's not happening here. What's going on here is a different type of overthrow, and that is cultural Marxism. Yes. And so that's uh, take us back to CRT. 
Yes. So in, in, in China, it was a violent overthrow and they just took over everything. And the, the nationalists were in Taiwan, which explains why it's still today they hate Taiwan. Um, and they're still trying to get control of Taiwan because those are the, the nationalists. Here in America, we have, uh, we have socialism taking over too, but it's being done, like you said, culturally. It's being adopted culturally. It's uh, people, people are asking for it and embracing it so they don't need a violent takeover. But it all yeah. ends in the same disaster if we continue in this direction. Um, in China, there were food shortages. People died of starvation. Like, What was the fallout for the population as a result of socialism and communism? Um, that was uh, the the biggest disaster, and uh, I think very few people know here. Very few few people know in the world that in nineteen during nineteen fifty nine to and nineteen sixty two, up to fifty million peasants wow. died. Wow, and died of of uh, uh, famine, and it's because of uh, Mao's. Um, commune um, uh, policies. And then wow. they took the land back from the peasants and uh, um, make it uh, collective owned, which means nobody owned, which means the government owned. And um, so it created famine. And th that's a long story, but this is just something, this is a big problem. The reason I got involved is that the com communism has arrived in America, in our front doors, and a very few Americans recognized it. And that is right. the problem because yes. they don't know anything about communism. And the communism cha keep changing its faces. It never appeared exactly the same. And but it is communism for people who experienced it. There's no mistake. We know it's communism, but Americans don't know. Yes. They still think it's about anti-racism. Uh, it is about social justice. It is about uh, oppression, overthrow oppression. No, it's communism, and that's how that's how communism took over a country, and that's what they did is overthrow the tradition of the mm -hmm. traditional culture and uh, like in Russia, like in, in China. And that's what they want to get rid of so that we forget about our past. And so that we accept Marxism, communism as the truth, as the dominant ideology. Yep. Yep. Um, it, you know, if you take away my property and you claim ownership of it as the government, that is the very definition of communism. And that's what we're seeing in this country more and more. It might not be a violent takeover, but guess what? If you don't give them your shit, if you don't give your shit to the government, it will be violent. So the threat of violence is there. So it's really not much different than the violent overthrow of government uh, to communism. Now, what you said there was very striking. 50 million people died as a result of starvation from communist policies. So let we don't you don't hear a lot about that. That's not you know that's not something we get taught a lot in schools here. 50 million people died. Hitler killed 7 million. You know, we we constantly hear about Hitler and of course yes. that's awful, yes. horrible, 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 horrible. Don't get it twisted. 
But 50 million seems a little bit more significant than 7 million. Yet that message doesn't really get uh, the same amplitude in our society. And I got to think that's intentional. Now, you bravely went to a school board meeting and tried to I'm going to I'm going to play that. Maybe I'll clip it in right here. I'm going to play what you said at that school board meeting because it was it was very poignant. You bravely stood up and called out this CRT stuff for what it is. Um, and as a result, you and other parents like yourself all over the country have been labeled terrorists. They're calling uh, parents yes, yes. terrorists. Mm-hmm. John Brennan, former director of the CIA, went on CNN and called parents terrorists. Um, that should show you how big a threat they they see people standing up for themselves, that they're willing to call you a terrorist. What do you think about being called a terrorist and what what is your response to that? Yeah, uh, uh, of course, that is uh, absolutely evidence that this country is turning tyrannical. But to me, it's a badge of honor. I go around when I talk to people and say, you got involved, you got joined the fight. If you haven't been called a racist, a white supremacist, um, a, a bigot, you are not in the fight. And I have all the badges, including terrorist. Yes. Um, right. I like that you called a bad, a badge of honor. And I think that's the way people need to no, look. Nobody wants to be called a racist, right? It's like the worst thing you can be like to judge somebody because of their skin color. That's horrible. Right. My, my, and, and what, you know, when we get called names like that, our baseline, um, reaction, instinctual uh, instinctual reaction to that is to defend ourselves and say, no, I'm not right. We want to say, no, I'm not. I, I have, I have black friends or I'm married to a Filipino girl. Like that's, that's my baseline instinctual reaction to these people is to want to defend myself. We need to get past that instinct to defend ourselves and accept that as a badge of honor of these are horrible people who are stripping away our rights and freedoms who want to enslave us. And if they're calling us a name, we must be over the target and we need to keep our foot on the gas pedal and do what we're doing. Oh, you think I'm a racist? Good. Go fuck yourself. That should be the reaction. Now, actually, this is so familiar to me. And this racist bigot, whatever, now uh, white nationalism, what all this is a catch-up that applies to anyone and everything. Yes. And that's what uh, the Mao used um, during his reign. And that's called counter-revolution, counter-revolutionary. And that's also, that's a catch-up that, uh, that just can apply to anything, anybody. Yes. And so if you are uh, out of line, or they just simply don't like you, they call you counter-revolutionary. Just think about it. Um, Maybe 10 years ago, you were called a racist. Um, You may may be shunned by friends or coworkers, and uh, and, maybe you will um, uh, get punished one way or other today. If you're called a racist, you may lose your job. You may lose your uh, livelihood. And uh, what's next? And the next is you may lose your freedom. Mm -hmm. And and then if we go on, you may lose your life. That's how it progresses always. 
always. So in China, being a counter-revolutionary is not just, oh, you call me, you call me racist. No, if you are counter-revolutionary, your punishment is uh, demotion, exile, jail, or death. Yep. It's not good. It's not good. Look, no. And we have... We ha- we're, we're seeing things like this now in this country, ESG scores, which is environmental social governance, right? And it starts with corporations where yeah. if a corporation doesn't invest in the things the government wants them to invest in, like green energy, they get a bad ESG score, they get a bad ESG score, they can't get any more loans for future business. Well, they're now also taking this kind of stuff and putting it on individuals, which is why it's so important to resist the idea of a digital uh, COVID passport, because this is this is the gateway to that. You have a digital COVID passport that shows whether or not you've been vaccinated. Well, guess what? It also has your ESG score on it. Uh, you drive a, a gasoline truck or a diesel truck. Guess what? Fuck you. You lose your bank account. We're already seeing that in places like Canada, like where the truckers, oh, yeah. the truckers resisted the government. Canada just said, OK, we're taking all your money. They just confiscated their bank accounts. Yes. That is going to happen here. This new inflation, uh, inflation fighting bill that Biden passed gave the IRS 82,000 more agents, 80 billion more dollars. And what they're doing with that money is they're going to yeah. go after people who aren't spending their money on the right things. They're telling farmers to stop growing crops. They're going to pay them to stop growing crops and people are going to start starving to death. Now, not people like myself and my friends who live in a pretty affluent community. We're going to be fine because we have a little bit of money, but eventually it gets to everybody if we don't stand up. Yeah. Eventually it gets to the people who don't think correctly. And that's what's happening in China. People don't have to imagine what might happen. It's happening in China. And that's what the left has been copying. They admire, they admire the authoritarian power of the CCP. In China, you have a code, everyone has COVID passport. And you have a code um, red or green. If your code is red, you can't leave your home. You can't enter any building like a store or bank or anything. And have you heard about the bank run story? No. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's uh, some uh, uh, community banks that somehow just mismanaged or, uh, or uh, embezzled all the money. Mm-hmm. And then people can't get money. And so when they go to the uh, bank, and, uh, and and if they kind of demand or or kind of uh, make uh, like like a um, a show there, you know, like uh, to show that they want to uh, um, they insist that they uh, withdraw of their money, their code turn red. Yep. So amazing. So this Horrifying. is not politi- they can yeah. they can snatch it all away from you just like that, and there's not yeah. a damn thing you can do about it. Yes. Now you you said something interesting that I that I want to push back a little bit on. Uh, you said the left admires this stuff. They they admire authoritarianism. The the left, the leadership of the left, they are authoritarian. But people who vote that way, and I out here in California, that's the majority of my friends. They vote for the left. I don't think they admire authoritarianism. I think it's something different. I think the left has tricked these people and appealed to them on their sensibilities and their empathies. They think that the the, le- the leadership of the left 
cares about the less fortunate and all they're trying to do is help the less fortunate, help the poor, help black people. They've, they've done a great job with their messaging and they've fooled people into voting into what will ultimately be become their doom. So I don't think yeah. it's that when you say the left admires authoritarianism, I don't think that. I don't think that about my friends or my family who votes that way. I think they've been tricked. I know. And I, I think that yeah, the, those in power, they admire the kind of power that Xi Jinping has. They wish they had that kind of power. Yeah. And they are trying hard to get that kind of power. And I do want to talk a little bit about poverty. Okay. Please. So the story of the Chinese uh, communist revolution is on the promise of free stuff, the free land for the peasants. And because Chinese, uh, China was uh, overwhelmingly the agricultural society in the uh, in um, a few decades ago, so Mao promised those landless peasants, those proletariat, that follow me, join my revolution, I'm going to get free land for every one of you, and that's what they did. The peasants made Mao's revolution a success. Without them, they cannot succeed. So after the uh, revolution, Mao had this campaign called land reform. He, in the process, he killed up to 2 million landowners and gave the land to the poor. Okay, happy, yeah, happy ending. Until mm -hmm. five years later, all the land was taken back by the state through the communal campaign. Yep. And uh, since then, since then, peasants stayed in the bottom of, uh, excuse me, of uh, Chinese society. They were always the poorest. They were the one to die from famine. And then later, they were the cheap laborers for the Chinese CCP's factory. And... Uh, and that's what happened to the poor that uh, the, uh, the CCP promised to help. And that's their um, um, ending is always poor, always at the bottom of the society. And here, those people, they promise to help the poor. And that's how they get into power. That's how they stay in power. They need the poor people. They can't make them uh, better off. They need them to be poor and stay poor. And they need more of them. If there's not enough, import them through the illegal immigration. They need poor people. Marxism revolution is a proletarian revolution. If they don't have enough, they make more. Yes. they need. It's not necessarily that they need poor people. They need people who don't have anything and are dependent on government to give it to them. Right. And so they, they, they give you, well, so you, you're talking about, they, they give them land over there. Okay. That, that sounds crazy. But what about here? We give the people welfare, we give them healthcare, we give them retirement money. That, that sounds, that sounds reasonable, but as that keeps growing and growing now, the government is promising other things. Now we're just sending checks in the mail, right? Well, what's next? Yeah, here's a little piece of land. It, it's all along the same line of thought. It's all in the same pathway. They're now talking about universal basic income in this country, and I believe it's coming. I believe we will have it within the next five years. That's the government sending everybody money. And yeah, what poor person is not going to vote for that? Of course they're going to vote for that. Of course they're going to vote for that. Know. 
They need they to know do. where that goes. Yes. And also, they need to know. They always give you something, just enough to keep you alive. You will yep. never prosper. You no. will never prosper being a dependent on the government. And that's what they, they want. They want you to be dependent so they can control you. It's all about control. Right. And the power. And- and 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 also a message to the people in poverty in this country. We're not we're not that far gone yet that this country can't be salvaged. And yes, we have poor people. And yes, those kind of messages appeal to poor people here. But the poor people in this country, the poor people in our country, are still in the top ten percent in the world for wealth. The poorest in our country are still in the top ten percent. In the world, like being poor in this country is not like being poor in China. If you're poor in, in China, if you were poor in China during the Cultural Revolution, you were dead. You were you're going to die of starvation. A poor our poor people are fat because that's what capitalism does. It creates wealth for everybody and it trickles down even to the poor. And that's uh, uh, why they need the cultural Marxism to dumb down the population and to divide the population and to tell them that this country is so uh, unjust and this country is so racist. This country is just so evil that should be overthrown. And uh, and that's what the CRT is about. The CRT teaches um, that uh, um, the, the, uh, the white, they're just born oppressive. And they are the ones that always get the upper hand. And being a black or minority in this country, you have no future. You'll always be oppressed, no matter what you do. And why they do this? To divide people, to create hatred. So only when they divide people, they can control them. When people are united, they can't control. That's Mao has, Mao did it from day one and just divide people uh, into class. Like uh, oppressor are the ones that own land or factory or anything, and uh, the others, are the uh, the allies, the friends of the revolution, and they, that's not it. They keep creating more and enemies, just like here. They keep creating more oppressed, so everyone can be oppressed if you can't create an identity. Okay, so if you're white, create another identity, such as uh, um, transgender, you know, so you have Mm -hmm. an identity. And uh, so that is what uh, the left has been doing. And all this is just so familiar to me. Yep. It's different, but it's the same thing. Yes, it's the it's the same thing. Um, yes, they're teaching that crap in our schools now. White whites are born oppressors. Like uh, children are learning this. Whites are oppressors. Blacks are the oppressed. They teach that in school, and that that gets at the the heart of the issue of why you took this fight to the school board. Um, and that message: white are born oppressors. It's an easy message to put out there. It's an easy message to get a good percentage of the population on board with. Um, but they run into a problem then when they they meet a black person who is not on board with the ideology, who is conservative, or a gay person who is a libertarian, or a Chinese person like you who is anti-communist. And I've had all people, all all three of those categories I've filled on this show, and those are the people the left goes at the hardest. You will not they see hate more. Those people. Yes. You will not see more vitriol 
out there coming from the left than when they are presented with a, someone like a black conservative like Larry Elder, who ran for governor out here. The L.A. Times ran articles about him, calling him the new black face of white supremacy. That wasn't that was a headline. Uh, gay conservatives get smoked. People like you, you're called a terrorist because they they can't defeat you with this label of uh, you're a white oppressor, so they got to go at you even harder because you throw a wrench into their whole narrative. Um, and that's it's, why why, people, it's why people like you are so important. Yeah, that's why racist is um, a label that uh, applies to anyone, black and white or whatever. Basically, it's applied to conservatives. And that's exactly what Mao did. Counter-revolution uh, counter-revolutionary can apply to anyone. Either you are, you used to be a landowner or you used to be a comrade of Mao. Uh, of Mao. And mm-hmm. You can be a counter-revolutionary overnight just because somehow you uh, you stepped out of the line. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And you, you brought up identity politics and, and this this hits at what has been the heart of this show for, for three years. I, I'm saying it all the time. I've been, I, I've been saying it long before I started this show. I hate identity politics because identity politics forces you to identify. It forces me as a white man to recognize my identity as I'm a white man. And, and you, uh, Chinese lady, you're a different identity. So it pits us against each other before I even know a goddamn thing about you other than your skin color and your gender. So it forces people to divide. And it's, it does that on the left as well, where you see people on the left now, the natural evolution of it is to divide further and further and further. So, okay, we're, we're all, uh, we're all gay black women, but these gay black women have light skin color, right? And you're now seeing this kind of stuff on social media where people are going after others for, for um, having privilege because of their lighter skin. So not black enough. That's intersectionality. Intersectionality is the most potent CRT uh, uh, crap. And it's just like um, the more intersection you have, the more victim you you become and the more power you have. And that's exactly what uh, Mao did. And here we use black and white, theirs use black and red. And so if you are um, okay, you are the allies, you're red. If you are the enemies, you're black. So it's constantly uh, set the black and the red against each other. And then everyone has to be careful because once you're black, you're always black. But if you're red, you can turn black. If somehow you don't follow the narrative or you can question the, uh, the authority, now you're black. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's it's just only very interesting. They love colors. Yes. The Marxists, the communists, they love colors. Yes. And another thing they did very effectively in China was they, by going after the children and, and teaching this kind of stuff in the schools to the kids, they turned children against their parents. Um, and And we're seeing that now here in schools where with this, this trans stuff in these um, gender ideologies where they, they will educate the children on this stuff, get the children to identify it as a different way and keep it a secret from the parents. Now, I don't know any parent in America that would be okay with their 
children, keeping that secret from them, but they are pushing this in the schools. And that I can't help but think that that's just one more way to divide us and to create chaos in society. Yeah. In China from day one, uh, after the, uh, uh, communists took over, um, the power, um, they, um, well, from that day on, parents have never had a say of uh, how their kids uh, should be educated. And their job actually is facilitate the CCP's indoctrination, that they need to help to indoctrinate their kids. And the indoctrinated kids can come home and uh, educate, re-educate their parents. And so with the same ideology and uh, and also from day one, uh, CCP taught the young children that the your real parents are not your mom and dad. And those that just happen to be biological parents, your real parents, are the party and Chairman Mao. That's how I grew up with. And we sing songs like uh, uh, Mao is our real parents. The party is uh, our parents. And uh, so during the Cultural Revolution, so many kids turned against their parents. There's one very famous story of this this woman in the privacy of her home expressed that he that she did not like what Mao was doing, and then that's not good for the country. His uh, her son and her husband together reported her. And she was executed as the result. And this is not an isolated story. It happened a lot because children were indoctrinated to believe that uh, uh, parents are not real, your real parents. If they are not with the party, they are your enemy. They should be turned in. And now we're seeing the same thing happening Awful. here. We're seeing the same thing that children turn in their parents just because their parents went to um, Washington uh, on uh, January 6th. And this is sickening. And when I say that, it's just sickening for me to see that same thing is happening here. And I have to say that the uh, American Marxists uh, did something even more creative that Mao did not even think about is transgender and to separate parents and children to to take ownership of the children and tell them that uh, we can um, have you have all the surgery without any your parents. This is just unbelievable. Yeah. That that, that that we should really have an uprising against the left and against the school board, against the school system. This is just unimaginable. Yes, yes. I yeah. Any any of my uh any people I know on the left, if their kid one day they saw their kid in the shower and they, they learned that they had a different gender but had been kept a secret for two years by the school, they would lose their mind. Nobody would be okay with that. Um, I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous scenario, but that's what that's what they're pushing. Now, look, you 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 talked about parents in China not having the right to get involved in education whatsoever. Well, in in Virginia, in the county that you spoke out, the the governor, I forget his name, the previous governor. Uh, um, McAuliffe. McAuliffe. Yeah. He said yeah. in a debate against Yunkin, he said that yeah. parents should not have the right to get involved in the curriculum. Like those words came out of his mouth. Luckily, p- 
parents fought back in Virginia and that dude lost, I think, because of that singular statement. So so there is some fighting back happening. People like you are fighting back and there is still a chance to win this thing. Now, you talk about how. Uh, you know, parents were executed in China if if the child would rat them out and say that they were speaking out against the administration. And that sounds so far-fetched here in America, right? So an, an American hears that and they're like, that's never going to happen here. That's crazy. And it is crazy. But And it would never happen here now. But we're going in that direction. And let me give you some examples. Um, during the Obama administration, they weaponized the IRS against political opponents. They and they don't deny this. They don't deny this. They went after any business or organization that had the name Patriot or Freedom in their name. They audited them based on them suspecting them of being conservative. Now, present day, you have the Department of Justice going after political enemies. I mean, how many how many raids have we seen on people like yeah, uh, Roger Stone and and now Donald Trump most recently so that they've weaponized the Department of Justice. They're not going after people like Hunter Biden. We have him doing crimes on video and and they're calling that Russian Russian disinformation. So we've seen it. We've seen our Department of Justice become politicized. You have, as mentioned before, the head of the CIA, former head of the CIA, John Brennan, calling you a terrorist, not by name, but calling parents who go to school board meetings and disrupt them terrorists, used that language. So when you tell that story about what happened in China with parents being executed, as ridiculous as that sounds, and oh, and my instinct is to want to say that could never happen here. Well, but it, it is could. happening. It That's a, the, the kid that reported his dad, I think it's in Colorado, his dad has a seven-year sentence in prison. Yes. Well, it's not as far as being executed, but we're going that direction. Yes. And we're going that direction. And yes, that's an extreme case. And another thing I wanted to bring up is parents, parents who are going through uh, divorce, that this kind of stuff is being used against them, specifically the trans stuff. And parents are losing their parental rights for not going along with this kind of stuff. So it is happening on a, mm-hmm. on a, on a less severe scale, but it could progress to that point if people don't push back against it. Yeah. And the people need to realize we are no longer living in America like a 20 years ago. No, we are really living a banana Republic and it's more and more like CCP's China. I am the uh, I, I can tell tell you that because I lived in both, and we are more and more like China. And so when the Bill Clinton um, uh, uh, helped China to get into uh, uh, the World Trade Organization, right? We say, oh, okay, we open it up, you know, and with this opening, China will become more and more democratic, and get and see what happened. They become more authoritarian, and we become yep. more authoritarian with them. And it's the other way around. We become more and more like China, rather than China more and more like the West. Yes, yes, we we ha- and and I look, I see it myself. But I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a woman's perspective on that who has lived it, 
Like, I'm going to believe you. You, you, you lived it and you're seeing it here. I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to argue with you. Like you've lived it and you're not the only one who's lived it and is speaking out about it. There's a, there's a lot of you and people and, like uh, you are being silenced by the media. Yeah. And I do uh, uh, always try to tell people, okay, the left always say my truth, my lived experience. Okay, then sit down and listen to me because this is my <laughs> lived experience. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's your lived experience. Like, listen to my lived experience. Listen, yeah. to, I, I got an identity. Check it out. Um, all right. So we've established we've established that we're on the same page. We're going down the a wrong path here in America, and it's dangerous. And uh, I just want to, for, from my point of view, you're talking to a guy who. I considered myself 15 years ago to be a liberal. I, I identified that way political politically as a liberal. Well, 15 years ago, a liberal was a different thing. A liberal believed in liberty, believed in freedom, believed in ending the foreign wars, believed in personal freedoms here in America. Liberals now no longer believe in personal freedom. Some of them still think that's what they believe in, but they only, they apply it very selectively like to abortion and not much else. So they don't, they don't believe in freedom to not wear a mask or freedom to not get this shot or freedom to pay less taxes. They, they've apply this Liberty very selectively and they've even lost their perspective on being anti foreign intervention. We are involved in every country in the world, it seems like, and they all support that. So liberals have lost the thread. Okay. So we've established we're going down the wrong pathway. Let's, let's take it. Let's take the, the conversation in the logical direction of what can Joe average citizen do about it? Okay. I heard your story, but my story is, is 10, 15 years ago, I was a political I was like paying no attention to politics and uh, I have no interest in politics. And I was just uh, focusing on building my American dream, have uh, a house, a career, bigger house and whatever, whatever, because mm -hmm. I thought this is America. We have freedom and we should always have it. It's just there for me to enjoy. And yes. it's going nowhere until, until, I would say probably 2016, and of course, definitely 2020. When I see um, where everybody saw on TV, at least, the riot, the burning of our cities, and that's cultural revolution. Yes. And that's absolutely no mistake. Before it was science, now it's in your face. I know that the freedom, that I took for granted is very fragile. It can't just go away, disappear overnight if we don't defend it. I learned it in a hard way, or not hard way, but I learned it. The freedom, excuse me, I have to drink some water. The freedom needs to be defended. The freedom is not always there for us to enjoy. So that's how I decided to get involved. And uh, because I was never, ever involved. And many Asians, I'm typical. 
pay no attention to politics. <coughs> Sorry. That's all right. Take a drink. <coughs> Clear your throat. I can edit this out. We're good. Okay. Okay. Um, as an Asian American, I have to say I never participated in any political activity. And uh, that was just like, a, um, I feel like I need to do something. So finally, I got enough courage to go to the school board. After that, I thought I've done my uh, duty. I have no idea. That day later, Fox News called. I said, oh my God, oh my God, what, get my, what did I get myself into? I realized that if I say yes to their uh, um, request for an interview, I will be in public eye. I will be really expose myself. I think about people in China, my family. I think about myself here. I think my job. I think about a lot of things. But then I think without America, all this means nothing. So, so I said yes. And that I took the first step to get into the fight. And, um, and, and of course, I have no regret. But what I'm trying to say is many, many people are doing the same thing. And that's the hope. That people that never involved are getting involved. I met them all the time. And they all say, never got involved. But we have to if we want to save this country. So I do think that there's a hope. Good. Yes. You were brave. You were, you were brave in speaking out at the school board. That's not an easy thing to do because you're going to be judged by your community. You were even braver than by accepting that meeting on Fox news, because you knew it, you go on Fox news, you're now going to be labeled a right winger and they might as well just call yes. you the N word. You know, like you being called a right winger is about the worst thing you can call anybody in America these days. So, and then you knew you would become a target of people like John Brennan. So you were brave. Um, and what your message it seems like is liberty, freedom in America is important. It's important not just for Americans, it's important for the whole world. Oh, the and, whole world. And it is fragile. It's fragile and it's being threatened. And Americans need to suck it up and be brave. Be brave. Yes, yes. And um, um, I really like that article written by uh, Barry Weiss. And she used to be um, uh, a writer for uh, uh, New York Times. New York she Times, quit. yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she had this article called, It Was uh, Cowardice That Got Us Here Today. Mm -hmm. And it, it will, be the uh, will be courage that take us out of here. Yep. So we all need courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need, you need courage. And, it, and it, starts, it starts locally. You need to be willing to say the uncomfortable, important things that your friends might judge you for. You just have to, because we're at I, a point in yeah. time where we're, we're talking about the freedoms our children may or may not have. And people living in cushy communities like the one I live in, we don't, most people do not feel the threat. They don't feel it because we're insulated. But if we don't, stand up and we're the ones we're the ones with the power the middle class the middle class are the ones with the power because we're the ones paying most of the taxes if 
our community doesn't stand up and get some fucking balls, we're all in big trouble. Our children are in big trouble. Yes. And I would say, you know, the courage is not that you just go to the public and fight, you know, in media or whatever. You can just not say, not agree to the narrative that pushed them. You don't, the first step is not just to fight back. The first is don't go along. Too many people just choose to go along. Yep. Yep. It's easier to go along. It's easy. Yeah. People like easy. People like being comfortable. We're comfortable. It's easy, but it's not going to be easy and comfortable for much longer no, if you not. continue to go along with it. I I appreciate you. I appreciate. I I know you've had some personal sacrifices. So you, you've lost you've lost some things. I appreciate you. Um, I I hope you're getting some love from others in the community. What you're yes, doing is great. I, it's important. Good. Good. Yes. Because we, we, and that, that's another thing we can do as a population is we can applaud and give love to those who are being brave so that they, you know, cause everybody needs some encouragement. Everybody needs some love. And if you're, if you're standing up there and you're fighting for what you think is an important fight for freedom and you're just getting beat down by everybody, well, you get disheartened and you're just going to give up that fight because it's not worth it. So that's true. Yes. So spread. Yeah. So if you're one of these people who is not courageous enough to speak out, but you come across someone like like she Van Fleet, someone else in your community like that, who is brave enough, at least do them the service of giving them some uh, some love and encouraging them to do what they're doing. So they will continue to fight on your behalf. Yes. OK, uh, we're, we're running up against it. Any any final words you have for the audience? Any anything you want them to go check out, go read, um, go do? Oh, just get yourself educated. There's a lot of information. You know, when I grew up in China, I have no information. I was brainwashed because I have I I believe everything they told me because I have nothing uh, that uh, tell me otherwise. But here, information is there. Just get out of your way a little bit. And there's a lot, a lot of on YouTube and about communism, about uh, you know the crimes of communism, and uh, just educate yourself. Yes, educate yourself. Um, all right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the fight you you you've taken out there for standing up for the school board. I am gonna I am gonna throw in a clip of of your performance at that school board meeting, and I will call it a performance because it was beautiful. Oh, thank you again. Thank you. Um, I'd love to circle back with you maybe in another year to see where we're at with all this stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you. That would be great. That'd be great. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Uh, to me, it's like, I just want to talk to whoever wants to listen. Yes. Yep. That's, that's all we can do is have conversations and, and spread the word. Thank you so much. You have a great day. We'll talk to you again down the road. Thank you.